Hear the word of the Lord from 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, will abide with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is a commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Children of your elect sister greet you. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me as we come before God's word. Holy Father, what an amazing truth it is that everything around us withers and dies, but your word stands the test of time. Your word is eternal. May your eternal word and the truths in it strike a, heart, strike a string in our hearts. May you speak to us this morning by your spirit, encouraging us, strengthening us, exhorting us that we continue to walk with you all our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You know, there's this uh, phenomenon in parenting uh, where you often have to say the same things to your children over and over and over again, and then you have to say it some more times. Uh, and even then, those things that you remind them to do over and over and over and over again are ignored, right? Things like, you know, chew with your mouth closed, you know, put your, put your plates in the dishwasher, don't put your socks on the floor of the living room, uh, brush your teeth, you know. Just to name a few. And, you know, and even if you're here and you don't have children, you've experienced this because you've likely had a roommate. And what do roommates love to do but set plates in sinks and not put them or wash them? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Even though you tell them over and over again, you know, a rule of the house is you clean your plates when you're done with them. We are forgetful people. Uh, and, uh, and we need to hear the same truths over and over and over and over again, or we'll forget. And if this is true for the small things, uh, it is doubly true for the big things. You know, and you could in some ways say that the whole story of scripture is one big reminder to the people of God, this is how you ought to behave. Stop acting foolishly, people. Uh, and you know, that's what Second John is really all about. It's a, it's a letter of reminders. There's almost nothing new in it that wasn't already in First John. This is, this is probably why, you know, in my quick little Google search, and I think I'm the first person in the history of the church to actually preach 2 John, um, because it's, it has everything that 1 John has in it, and so no one ever actually goes and preaches through 2 John, and here we are. So this is a monumental moment that you get to be a part of, you know, in the history of the church. 
But in 2 John, <laughs> there's almost nothing new that wasn't already spoken of. And yet he tells them the same truths again. And what is he reminding the church about? The foundational truths, he's reminding them that, listen, you need to continue to walk in the truth that I've spoken to you. That Jesus actually is the Son of God who has come in the flesh, that he is the Christ, he is the Savior of the world. And in this, he's reminding them, and he's reminding you and I, that we aren't just people who ascend to belief in our minds and then go on our way, uh, but our beliefs affect our faith. They, they, they affect every aspect of our life. And John desires for the people who are in the church to remain walking in their faith, living it out, and so he writes another letter so that they stay strong amidst all the, the, the oppositions that come, the false teachers that come and try to pull them away. And so as we dive into this, you know, though nothing new for us, there's gonna be several reminders for us that we can continue to walk faithfully in this world. And just a couple introductory notes um, uh, before we jump into to 2 John. I don't know if these will have a little bit of importance, you know, as we get and move on later in the text, but just a couple things, since this is a new letter, I just want to point out about this letter. So at the, be, at the beginning, it says um, that it's written to the elect lady and her children. And uh, there's a lot of debate about what this means. And I don't want to get bogged down by all these details, um, but the debate circles around who, who's John writing to? Is he writing to an actual lady? Or is he writing, or is the elect lady a metaphor for the church? And uh, for several different reasons, I take this to be a metaphor for the church. And I'll, I'll tell you a few of these reasons. First, he actually never names the lady, which is strange because in Third John, the, the letter we're going to go through next week, um, he names the people that he's talking to. And so in, in, in his writing here, he doesn't name this lady. Well, and some argue that actually this Greek word that's translated in our Bible's elect um, is a name. And that the Greek word for elect actually was a name that was used for people in that time. So it is a plausible argument, except that that same name is used for her sister in verse 13. The children of your elect sister greet you. And so maybe these parents just had zero creativity and they use the same name over and over, over again so they don't have to say the wrong name. You know, every parent who has more than one child knows that, uh, <laughs> that reality. But I think likely it's not a name at all. And you know, elect is also a word used in the Bible to talk about the people of God, those who have been elect before the foundations of the world who are part of his church. And so that's, so first of all, I think it's highly unlikely that, that because um, the lady is not named. Secondly, this word that he uses here to talk about the children, to elect lady and her children, it's the same word that he uses in 1 John when he talks, calls us little children. He's talking about the church. And so it's not unusual for John to speak to you and I as, as children, the congregation. And third and last of all, the word for lady here is a word curia. And, um, and it can actually mean congregation. Um, and it's the, the root of the word ecclesia, which we use to translate church. And so for, for these reasons, um, I take this letter to be written to the church. You can disagree with me and you're welcome to be wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but this is how I take it, and it will come into play a little bit towards the end. I, I think that the main truths um, ring true no, no matter how you, you take this letter. But I think it comes into play most when we consider the, the application of this passage, that it's most immediately applied to us as a group rather than us as, as individuals. So John here, I want you to picture him like a father talking to his children, us, the church, encouraging us, continue to walk in this way that I've taught you, that you might never depart from it. Uh, because we are children, 
and we are forgetful and we need to be reminded of these truths that we already know. So I'm gonna give us just four reminders as we walk through this text this morning, four reminders that we can continue to walk on the path of righteousness all our lives. And, uh, and the first reminder that we're gonna see is a reminder to walk in truth. A reminder to walk in truth. We see this in verse one and four. He says, the elder to elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. And so he's, well, he's saying, listen, the, the truth we came to believe in is the thing that binds the church together. The things that we say are true are the things that make us united to Christ and to each other. It's, it's a powerful statement. He says this in verse four, I rejoice greatly to, to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So we have this common confession that binds us together as a people and John commends them for their efforts to continue to walking in this truth, to continue to, to be a part of this truth that binds us together. And if, you know, and it appears if we're reading between the lines in his commendation here, that there are some who have stopped walking in truth, who have walked away from the truth. So what is this truth that we're called to walk in? Well, he begins to answer it for us here in, in verse four. He says, walking in the truth, just as you were commanded, by the Father. You know, and earlier in uh, 1 John 4, John writes this, and this will kind of give us a hint of what the Father has commanded us. He says this, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This is the truth that he is speaking of here, that unites all believers to each other and, and to God himself is a belief that Jesus actually is the son of God who's come in the flesh, the savior of the world. And Jesus is reminding, John is reminding them of the truths that they already know. Encouraging those who have remained in the church to continue to walk in this truth. Right, to never stray from these deep truths. These truths that we, we proclaim, we believe actually every week as we proclaim the apostles' creed. He's saying, hold on to them. Don't let them go. Don't let them grow old fashioned. You know, those words that we, we say are the words that have been said for thousands of years. They're not our words. They're the words of the church, the words of the apostles. Don't let anyone sway you from them, he's saying. Jesus is the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. So he did suffer and die, conquer in the grave. This isn't a fairy tale or wishful thinking. It is truth. And it is the truth that we abide in by our continued belief in it. And it is in this truth that you find life. It's our belief in Christ that we share together in common that we find life and says continue, walk in it, continue to believe it. Don't stop believing, as the great journey once saying. So the question though for us is how do, we, how do we actually do that? How do we continue to walk in truth? What does it look like for us to walk in truth? How do we strengthen this walk in truth? Well, we do this by putting our belief into action. And this is what we find here in the second reminder is a reminder to walk in love. A reminder to walk in love. Look with me here. In verse five, he says this. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I love, first of all, this is kind of an aside, the affection that John has for the church here, calling her dear lady, dear congregation, dear church, the beloved of the Lord. The commandments I'm giving to you are nothing new, he's saying. I'm not coming to you with new. It's these false teachers. They're the ones that are coming to you with new things. I'm coming to you with the ancient truths. So what is this commandment that, he's, that they're being told that is of old? Simply, he says here, to love one another. What does it mean to walk in truth? How do we, how do we grow in our walk in truth? 
It means to walk in love. To actually practice our, our, our belief in our lives as we love one another. This is the command from the beginning. This is not the first time John says it. John says this all over. And in fact, in the gospel of John, his, his words mimic Genesis 1. He's, when he talks about the beginning, he's bringing us back to the garden, back to Genesis. He's saying, listen, from the beginning, from Genesis 1, this is how we were called to live in this world, called to love. And John, you know, defines love for us in 1 John really well. He says that, you know, this is love, that we, you know, we lay down our lives for each other. And he adds something to that definition here in verse 6. He says this, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. Again, he's doubling down. Listen, what I am telling you is nothing new. It has been here since the beginning. Walk in this. To walk in love is to obey his commandments. This we find, you know, the very counterculture idea. Love is not a, a feeling. It's an action. To follow John's reason here, he is saying, listen, he is saying that, that what we believe to be true guides our love. And our loves guide who we listen to, what we obey. So to walk in love is to walk in obedience to Christ. You know, when I think about love and this kind of active nature, I always think of this old DC talk song that, you know, that talks about love being a verb. Uh, it's very cheesy, but it's, it's true uh, that, that love is a verb. Love demands actions of us. You can't just say you love somebody and never show any action towards that person that shows that you love them. We know this, it's an action. Love demands it. And the way we strengthen this walking in truth is by walking in obedience to the truth, listening to his commandments. And what are, so what are these commandments that we're supposed to listen to? Well, Jesus summarizes the great commandments of the Lord in two, right? Love God, love your neighbor. This is what we're called to do. So what does it mean to love God then? Well, I think at least in part, it means to follow the first half of the Ten Commandments, which kind of summarize what it looks like to love God, to, to worship him, to, to, to put no other God before him, to, to, to remember the Sabbath, right? To be part of a, a local congregation like this one is actually fulfilling this love of God. Yeah, you being here, committed to a, a local lady, so to speak, a gathering of the elect as you walk in love and obedience, the, the direct application here is actually being a part of this community, because as you belong to the church, your walk is strengthened. If you walk apart from God's people, you will be devoured and destroyed and not very slowly. It's in the context of the local body that we are strengthened, that, that the truth is bolstered as it's preached to us, as it's burdened us with each other. I think it's also in the local church that we actually get to practice the loving one another aspect of following the commandments of God, serving each other, laying our lives down for each other. We can't love our neighbor who's outside the church if we can't love those inside the church. Laying down our lives for each other. This is where we learn to do it is in this room, in this actual local congregation. This is how we make ourselves strong in the truth. This is how we walk and as we live it out in community, we practice love with each other. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount uh, is one of my favorite parables of scriptures. It's one you, you, you probably know well. It's at the end of Matthew 7 and it's a, it's a call to action where uh, basically Jesus is just reframing all of, all of the Sermon on the Mount uh, for the people in this one parable. And he's calling them to, to live out the truths that he's spoken to them in their lives. And so this parable is about the man who builds his, you know, there's two men. One is the foolish man who builds his house in sand. Storms come and, and his, his house falls apart. And there's a wise man who hears what God says is true and actually does these things. And he's like a man who builds his house on stone, on the rock. If you build your house on the rock, your, your house will survive the storms. 
If you listen, and if you put into practice the, the teachings of the Lord, you will be like that house and you will survive. This is the same truth that John is getting at for us here. Believe the truth, walk in it in love and obedience and you will remain strong. You will withstand the storms of life. Don't just say you believe, but actually do something with your belief. It demands your actions. Your obedience, your walking in love is what shows really what you believe. And this is vitally important for us because, listen, we actually have real enemies who seek to devour us. We have, we have real enemies in this world who would lead you astray if they could. And if you don't do as Christ commands, if you don't walk in the truth, then you are like the man who builds his house in the sand and you are susceptible to deception and destruction. And this is the third thing that John is wanting to remind his children of here, is this, that remember that we have enemies seeking to devour us. Remember that we have enemies seeking to devour us. Look with me here at verse seven, it says this, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. You know, the thing about short letters is he doesn't have too many words. He's not trying to make this colorful. He's cutting straight to the, straight to the punch here. He said that there are deceivers out there. And just because you believe in the truth and you have eternal life guaranteed doesn't mean that Satan is, isn't out to destroy you. There are deceivers there. And he tells us exactly what a deceiver is like. He says that, there, he says that they are those that do not confess that Jesus came in the flesh. You know, this is a big deal at this time when John was writing because there were those who didn't believe in the, the physical incarnation of Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was the, the true son of God who came in the flesh, who died to take away the sins of the world. And uh, John does not mince words about this kind of person. He calls them the deceiver. He doesn't call them a deceiver, one of many deceivers. He actually calls them the deceiver. And who is the great deceiver? But Satan. And so he's saying, listen, those who deny those who deny who Christ is are aligned with Satan to the point where they essentially become Satan. They become anti-Christ, which is to say they're against Christ, enemies of Christ. This is strong language that he's using. We should pay attention to this strong language and not just dismiss it with our Western sensibilities. This is where we also have to be careful of and understand the context of which John is writing here, to understand exactly who he is speaking about. Because technically, everyone who's not a Christian denies belief in Jesus. Is, so is he calling everyone an antichrist? I don't think that's actually what he's getting at here. He isn't talking about those on the outside of the church who've never believed and never been a part of the church. He's actually talking about those who have played the part of the elect, who have participated in the church and proclaim with their lips the truth of the gospel, but who, who now deny it. And it's not just that they deny it, but they're actively speaking against it, teaching against it, trying to deceive those in the church to draw them out. He's talking about teachers here. And you can see this in the, in the language. Listen, many deceivers have gone out into the world, he says, as in they have left the, the path of believing in the truth. They've left the church distinct from the world and they've gone into the world, away from the church into the world. And this is actually a major problem happening. It was causing division and splits in the church. Much of the New Testament writings are dealing with this truth, that people were, were deceiving the church, trying to draw people away. People left the faith and tried to sway others. And he's reminding them of the truth so that they aren't swayed by these deceivers. So that they're prepared when they come and speak lies so they can withstand the temptations. This is what we see here, verse 8. It says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. He's saying watch yourselves so that you're not thrown off when this comes. Don't be surprised. People will come. They will look good. They will sound good, but they will lead you to your destruction. Be on watch so that you can hold on to the end. 
So how do we know if someone is a deceiver? He tells us here in verse nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So he's saying, listen, it's all about those who abide in the teachings of Christ. Right, deceivers will try to sound good, but in the end, they will always deny Jesus. You know, they will always deny some of our great doctrines of who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, second person of the Trinity. False teachers will always deny these, these profound truths. You know, one of the ways I hear it a lot now uh, out in the stratosphere is how people talk about the resurrection power of Jesus. Um, and it's, you know, you got to be careful when you start people talking about just resurrection power, but they don't actually talk about a, a Jesus rising from the dead. Typically, they're actually denying a physical resurrection of Jesus. And that's actually really popular right now in certain churches where they, because, you know, we're, we're smart people. People don't come back from the dead. We don't have to believe in that nonsense to believe in the power of the resurrection, right? And so that, that is one thing that is, you know, circling out there in, in the world. Or it's, it's pop, another popular thing is to talk about the love of Jesus, right? Jesus, the, the hippie God. But deny what Jesus says about God's wrath against evil. What he says about hell and the reality of justice and wrath uh, uh, for those who deny who Jesus is. He's saying, be on watch. He's saying, test all teachers against the teachings of Jesus. Myself included, test it. And to test it, it means you need to know it. Devote yourselves to the, to the word of God, to the confessions of the church, so that we can know when deceivers come and try to persuade us away from the truth that's been handed down to us for generations upon generations in the creeds, in the councils of the church, so that we know and we can withstand. So he tells us, listen, these are coming. But what are we supposed to do when they do arrive? What if a false teacher shows up on our door? What do we do with that then? Well, John actually tells us what we're to do when we encounter such a person. He says this in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And this is, again, very hard stuff that he's saying, not mincing words. And this is similar to last week's passion that it's a hard one to read. Aren't we supposed to be the people who love our neighbor? How can we do that if we don't speak to them? Uh, shouldn't we try to be persuasive with these false teachers so that they turn, turn back to faith? You know, is one of my mentors, Mike Kelly, who once said to me, he said, you know, we have to be careful not to think that we can be more loving than God is. Remember, God is love. Not that God is love and he is love and he can't act out of accord with his love and part of love is protecting your children from harm. So John seems to be saying, listen, don't give false teachers a place in your community of faith, in the church. Do not give them a platform. Don't break bread with them. Because when you give false teachers a platform, you are asking uh, to be led astray. He's saying, give no occasion for those in your church to be swayed by false teachers. In this, there's a strange command here. There's a command to be inhospitable to people. Not just the false teaching, but to the false teachers themselves. This is not a small thing because the whole aspect of the gospel is one of hosp hospitality, love of strangers. It echoes throughout all scripture. You were once sojourners, love the sojourner. You were once an outsider, love those on the outside that they could become insiders. And now here we're being told when it comes to false teaching and false teachers, be inhospitable to them. Keep them on the outside. Do not let them in. You know, I, I grew up reading Psalms that talk about destroying your enemies. And I was confused by them. I was like, I don't have any enemies. Look at me, I'm a kid. Grew up in a farm town. I love everybody. Everyone loves me. You know, I don't got any enemies. 
And, uh, and, and maybe you think that sometimes too. Like, well, you know, we're, we're enlightened now. We don't, we don't have enemies. We're just, we're all friends. You know, we all just love each other. Uh, but this is actually not true. Friends, you have enemies. There are people who are seeking to devour you. And if you do not understand that truth, you will be devoured. <laughs> Listen to me. This is not popular to say. And I do not say it uh, glibly. That's what I'm looking for. Whatever that means. <laughs> I do not say it glibly. <laughs> we have enemies. We have people who seek to devour us. And to greet them and welcome them into our place as if they are our friends is to take part of their wickedness. In this, you know what John is saying? He's saying, listen, do not welcome the serpent into the garden of the church. John is playing the part of Adam here, protecting the bride of Christ from the deceptions of the serpent. You know, Adam's failure in the garden was not just allowing the, guard, the, the, the snake into the place, but it, it, his, 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 his failure was in allowing that snake to speak. Because as soon as he spoke, his deceptions could take root. Those who deny Christ as God who comes in the flesh, that's who he's talking about here. Adam failed when he allowed the serpent to open his mouth, and so do we when we let false teachers into the church. And now, here's a word of, of caution in how we apply this, because this is where people can go over the top and they think everyone's looking for their enemies everywhere. You're an enemy, you're an enemy. That's not what he's trying to do here. He's not talking about fellow Christians who just differ on certain aspects of theology. He's talking about those who deny the truths that we proclaim in belief every week in the Apostles' Creed. Those who deny Christ as the God who's come into flesh. Those who deny the doctrines of Christ that we have been passed down through ages. And not only is he speaking of those who, who deny these truths, but those who deny them and teach the church to deny them as well. Also, he's not talking about your unbelieving neighbor here, as if we shouldn't be hospitable to them. Right? He's talking about the ones who were once in the church who have left and are teaching false gospels. You know, even if you're here and, and maybe you struggle with some of the truth claims of Scripture, like Jesus being the only Son of God or the, the, the triune God or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so on, I, be here. This is where you should be to wrestle with these truths in community. John is not talking about you when he's saying, you know, we don't want to be hospitable to you. John is not talking about, he's talking about those who come in with a distinct purpose to deceive and draw people out. He's talking about false teachers. If you struggle with the truth of scripture, this is where you ought to be to wrestle with them, to ask questions, to learn, to discover in community. And John isn't saying this because he's some big meanie pants, but because he wants you to remain in the faith. He doesn't want you to be deceived and to be drawn away from life. He wants you to endure to the end so you can have an inheritance which the spirit is holding for you. And I think one of our other challenges with passages like this is that whenever we're given these kind of reminders and these lists of things that you should do, uh, even in the you know, New Testament reading this morning, the gospel reading this morning, we, we saw that in Jesus, Jesus' words about abiding in him, I think uh, we can start to get worried because we know every one of us knows that we struggle with doing the things we ought to do. Even Paul says, right, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I ought to do. We struggle. We struggle to do what we know we ought to do. We struggle to love God and our neighbors. So how in the world are we supposed to remain faithful, to hold on to the end, to endure, to make it, when we are forgetful people who love our sin? And this is where we get our final reminder here. It's because you're not alone. This is this final reminder here. It's a reminder that you are not alone. 
Look at me here, verse 12 to 13. He says this, though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I would hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You know, John's desire here, that he would see them face to face. You know, literally, it's actually translated would be tongue to tongue, not in some weird like kissing way, but, uh, but it means he wants to speak to them, right? Face to face, tongue to tongue. I want to speak with you. I want to see you and I want you to see me. I want to, he, he wants to be with them without something in between them, the meeting of paper in between them. I, there's a simple truth in this that has become perhaps more apparent to us in the last few years. As much as technology can bring us face to face with people around the world, it's not the same. Uh, it can never replace human interaction. You can't do church online. It's face to face to face activity requires this intimacy and John desires to be with them that they remember the great truth that we are not alone, that we're actually working together to help each other on this path of righteousness, living in community. Your faith is not a, a solo project, it's together to remember these deep truths and we do them together to stay on the path of righteousness. You know, we, and also he's pointing out here, listen, you have the greater community of the, of the church, not just a local congregation, but the church around the world. We have sister churches all over the world where, where a global faith, one in which all who proclaim faith in Jesus of the scriptures is a part of it. This should be greatly encouraging to us. You know, our day-to-day life, it can be easy to be discouraged when we're, we're on our own, we're on our own struggles, and we're not sharing them with each other. Or when we have small churches that are struggling, we're, we're not sharing in the, in the bounty that's happening all over the world and the church explosion that's happening in places like Africa right now. Listen, their win is our win. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, we share each other's burdens. You know, I have a friend right now who's uh, struggling, and, um, and it took him forever to actually tell us that he was struggling. He kept on saying, no, everything's good, and finally, he just told us he was struggling with some things. And, uh, and the truth is, we had very little advice for him other than, hey, we love you and we'll pray for you. Uh, but just that was enough, just a, a release valve to speak your problems and your troubles with each other so that everybody can share your burdens. That is what we're meant to do. That's how we stay strong and we walk in this path. We're given a people to walk on in this pilgrimage of life together. We can't do it if we don't share life with each other. Where you struggle to have faith, where you struggle to believe, where you struggle to walk in obedience, we're given each other to come alongside and help. And what are we? We're the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ. When you show love to each other in Christ, that is Jesus showing love through you to that person very, in a very real way. When we come alongside to help, what are we doing? But we're reminding each other the great truths of scripture, praying for each other, applying the balm of the gospel to each other, reminding each other of life that's found not in our strength, not in our ability to stay strong and hold on, but on the strength of Christ and his ability to hold on to you. And as we remind each other the gospel, we remind each other that the only way that we can stay strong is if we build our houses on the rock of Jesus. He is truth and flesh, come to make us his children. Our ability to do the gospel in our lives comes after our belonging to him and his people. It is because he first loved us that we can walk in him, obeying him in this life. We, We don't do things to earn this love and favor, but we do them, we obey him because we already have love and favor in Christ. Once we remember our status, we are sons and daughters of the living God, we become doers of the word as well. This is what the church is here to remind us of. Lest we get over our skis and we become legalists thinking that it's what we do that makes us belong or, or become anti-legalists who, who think that nothing we do actually matters. Your obedience matters. 
but it's only be possible because you've first been loved by Christ. You've been made his children while you were his enemies. Now go live this in your life. Live the gospel out in every part of your life, walking with and alongside the people of God, and you will endure to the end. May we be a people who don't forget these deep truths, who walk with each other. And when we do forget them, may we quickly repent and walk in the truth and love in community until we taste the great inheritance we have in Christ together. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word which you promised does not return void. Strengthen us, bind us together in and through the truths of the word. Make us believe it so much that it transforms the way we live. May we do this not alone in the power of our own strength, but in the strength of our community. Bind us together in love, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, I invite you to stand to once again declare with your lips what we believe. Church, and what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.